It's time for us to get started this evening. It's good to see each one out. I'm glad you're able to join us. Again, need to be mindful of those that are undergoing health problems and treatments and uh, tests that are coming up. Keep them in your prayers and see what we can do to help them. Encourage those that are not here to be able to join us. We're in chapter 13 of the lesson book about uh, God's blueprint for a growing church. Uh, we'll probably spend this week and next week on that lesson, and then we're going to a, a new series, and we're working out the details uh, on that one. But again, that's what we're going to be planning to do is lesson 13 in the, the book, and we'll be looking at that a little bit in just a moment. I uh, see. I'll try to be nice and read the announcements as they're written. <clears throat> Daryl Key is having some health problems. We'll have several tests in the next couple of weeks. He's having a test tomorrow on his heart. That changed? No, still having that? It's still scheduled. So keep him in your prayers. David Moore, who's the son of Bobby and Charlotte Moore, has been diagnosed with a stage 2 sarcoma tumor in his leg. And he's going to begin chemo next week. That's David Moore, the son of Bobby and Charlotte Moore. Kelly Vincent is scheduled to have her last chemo treatment a week from Friday. And then she will begin six weeks of radiation following the chemo. So she still has a way to go and keep her in your prayers. Need to continue to remember Don and Karen Lee and John and Mary Crawford as they face ongoing health challenges. And there are others on our prayer list. Uh, refer you to the bulletin and encourage you to remember them in your prayers. A few scheduled events that we have going on. Mission printing is tomorrow at 8 o'clock at Broad Street to work. Spanish Bible class is Saturday from 6 to 7 at Broad Street. For more information, see Ben Sanchez or Saul Sanchez. The Fishers of Men class is going great, and please continue to pray for this evangelistic training that we're going through. And again, we're very grateful to have you here this evening with us. Uh, and again, we have several who are here that uh, have probably have some health problems they won't tell you about, but just be mindful of everybody. <laughs> and keep them in your prayers. I'm going to ask Jerry Dobson, if he would, to direct our minds in a word of prayer as we begin. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that we've been blessed with, and for some that have gotten the rain, Father, we thank you, thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for another opportunity, probably another day that we can examine ourselves and make sure that we're right with you, Father. We thank you so much for your love for us, that you sent your son Jesus to this earth, that he also loved us and gave his life on the cross, that we might have the hope of eternal life in heaven. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit as he helps us and guides us as we study your word. We pray, Father, that you'll give us that will 
dedicate ourselves, Father, to encouraging one another and being good members of this church, Father. We pray for our elders here, for our deacons. We pray for our teachers, for our ministers. We pray that you be with them and bless this congregation that it will continue to grow and be a good part of this community for you. Name Amen. Amen. Title of Lesson 13 is Distinctive Living is Pursued. Distinctive Living. And it doesn't, does not take long to look at Scripture or to look at the world in which we live and to see... Uh, the changes that have always been there. How long did godly living, living uh, survive in the Garden of Eden? wasn't long, however long it was. <laughs> it wasn't long. You move up to chapter 6 of Genesis and you deal with the flood. How long was or how many of those were in the godly condition? Very few. We're not given any details on that particular one. We'll look at the next one in a moment. Uh, as to how Noah was perceived by his peers or those in his community. Uh, a lot of speculation you can hear about, the mocking and you know, so forth. That the Bible never describes that, so we don't know. Uh, you move on down to Genesis 18 and 19 in that area where you where a reference not, is not made to Lot but a reference is made to one being in, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah how long did how was Lot treated bad bad <laughs> Briefly, like this, bad, you know. Uh, how did the people view Lot when he tried to encourage them to do what was right? They said he'd come here to be a place himself as a judge. He came here to place himself as a judge over us. And uh, the, the challenge that was given there. You deal with the exodus from Egypt. And you look at this distinctive living that is given there as well. How many of the adult generation who came up out of Egypt actually inherited or entered into that promised land? Two. Two. Uh, just two. Uh, the others died in the wilderness. Uh, Paul gives a good description of that in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 1 through 11. Uh, appreciated Paul's kindness, if you will, when he talked about with many of them, God was not well pleased. Uh, very generous. <laughs> two were the only two that entered in of the adult generation. The saying distinct living is not always easy. And there's a reason behind that that we will look at as we get into the lesson. And again, 
for those who have the books, and uh, we're about to finish up on chapter 13, and we've got this week and next week on that, and then we're into a new series. But they always have scriptures to read on a daily basis, and I always ask you periodically, have you done that? Uh, read those scriptures on a daily basis. And then there's many scriptures that are given throughout the lesson. And it's interesting, or it's been interesting, that as I looked at chapter 13, there was approximately or almost 200 scripture references given in the text. No? We can make a copy of it, but... uh, We ran out on those. Lesson 13. So we got the challenge of trying to do what is distinct. I don't know if you read the the parable there in the introduction of the man in Sodom uh, pleading for the people to repent and then the young man saying, nobody's listening to you, why do you keep preaching? And he made the comment, he said, when I first got here, I was trying to get people to repent. He says, now I'm preaching to keep me from changing. I don't want to be like the people. Uh, there has to be a distinction in there. And what is meant by distinctive living? What makes something distinct? Different from everything else? Sometimes the King James would use the word peculiar. And I, you know, I've always agreed with the King James Version on that point. Uh, we are a peculiar people. Pardon? We're, we're there. Uh, but it's different. We live in a world that really does not want to. Do what the Bible says. Talking with a person Sunday who had been reading the book called An Atheist Who Believes in God. It's an interesting title. (laughs) I said, what were they saying about an atheist who believes in God? Well, the gist of the book, I guess, is the saying that the person believes that there is a God, a God, who has created this universe, but who does not want to accept that that God is the God of the Bible and that the Bible comes from God. They believe man has tampered with it down through the years. So what is, what is taken, what happens in that situation? For one to believe that there is a God, but then to turn around and say, but the Bible is not from God. And we don't know what God really wants us to do. Well, how do you going to know how to live? So what do you get to do? Do what you want. Make your own choice. That's what people do. <laughs> Make their own choices uh, as to what is acceptable and what is not. For one reason or another, I was 
looking at a website about doing a wedding ceremony in a, another state and got on the website and says, we will agree to give you a license that is valid in any state, which doesn't hold water, but that's beside the point. He said, as long as you agree to three tenets, and the three tenets, I don't know if I can remember exactly, but the three tenets basically were anybody is free to marry anybody. <laughs> yeah. No restrictions anywhere up and down the line. And anybody who wants to be married, you can marry. And do not refuse marrying them for any, partic- any reason. What a society we live in. <laughs> so that's their thinking. And that, in that group or in uh, society as it will, that laws are being enacted to basically take that position and the challenges that will come there. It is distinct. We are unique. Uh, again, out of uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, that God's people are a peculiar or a distinct people. And we have to make a choice. Are you forced to make choices? All the time. But you have to make choices. Uh, if you choose not to make a choice, what have you done? Well, you still made a choice. <laughs> uh, you may have defaulted on but you still made a choice. Uh, we, we, that's life. You make choices uh, of how you're going to live and how you're going to respond. You make choices of how you're going to respond to what you see and what you do, uh, whether you're going to obey or not obey. Uh, but every choice is made. You know, we don't have any controversy going on in our society today over choices being made in sports. <laughs> you know, no, uh, it, it's, but with every choice that is made is what, it, what follows. Consequences. There are consequences. Uh, you may not like the consequences, but they're there. And they have to be, they're going to be dealt with. And so we're choosing we're, as we've been looking through the book about God's blueprint for church growth, that there's a choice being made of being distinct in our life. You can either choose to be this peculiar person or you can choose to be conformed to the world out of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Somebody want to turn over to Romans 12, 1 and 2 and read that, please? Okay, there's an urge that God gives. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In light of what we're being urged to do, or the reason behind it, how does that affect you? 
I beseech you by the mercies of God that you live this life that is acceptable to God. What encourages you to make a choice to obey regardless of what it is? Pardon? I didn't quite hear it. That's okay. Her throat hurts and my ears don't ring, you know. Don't back catch it all, so it's a bad combination here. Okay, there has to, you have to believe, but there has to be that want to. I mean, it depends on who's asking, does it not? Or what you're going to do if somebody you're being asked to do something depends on who's doing the asking. The question is, what do you do when it's God who's doing the asking? Does that change how you do it, how you view it? Pardon? You don't ask why. Why? <laughs> Pardon? Sometimes you do. It's human nature. Okay. That's human nature too. To give ourselves for. We don't ask. We, God said, we, he, she said, we don't ask why. But you get the book of Job. Job asked why. It says, who do you direct the question to? If you direct it to God. We're going to ask why. And the response, you know, out of Job 38 and following is, when Job has been begging for an opportunity to confront God or have an audience with God, to lay his case before God, and then you get in chapter 38 and and, uh, God says, who are you to ask, one? But if you're going to ask questions, let me ask you a couple questions. And then we'll go from there. And I say, time I read the first one, I've, I've... I pass. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Explain to me if you understand why. But it's there, and those answers and the questioning gives me that impression that we can, but direct it towards God. Find out that, but we do that at times, do we not? Why has this happened to me? Uh, why has this come about? What's involved here? Uh, of are not seeing the, the, the complete picture and needing to trust God on that. Not always easy. Uh, but he's in control. He knows what's going on. Is asking him, uh, over in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16, would be another passage.
1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16. What type of children? <coughs> Obedient children. We've talked at times before. As your children are growing, as there have been times when they, when you've had to respond in, in essence, you do not understand now the reason why I'm asking you to do this. Later on you will. It's going to come in time. It's looking for that obedience. Because he is holy. We want to be his children. How well do you do an imitation? Be imitators of God. Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. What makes you holy? Christ? The blood of Christ. Okay. So in that, that's how we work on that. We're going to come up imperfect. But it's the desire again, there's two choices, two destinations. <coughs> we make those choices as we live day by day. And when you're able to do because you trust, makes it easier later on when it gets more difficult to keep trusting. The longer we live, the more things we seem to encounter. Uh, you know, for those that are young, you have the, the nice, healthy body, and then as time unfolds, I, like I said, I wake up every morning to, to cereal, wake up to snap, crackle, and pop. You know, it's just a, a series of things you get to go through. Part of life. A lot of it is reminders this life isn't permanent, is it? And one day it's going to be left behind. We're going to leave it behind, and one day it's going to be gone. So it makes you choose. That's why you're given those opportunities as you grow. And we know that from the physical realm. talked about it before. I mean, from a small child anywhere on up through age, things that we cherish when we're at one age, we no longer cherish as we grow older. We find different things to pursue. And prayerfully, some of those are, are much better. But I'm saying we, we grow along the way. And it is that way with God. As you read the scriptures, do you believe that God is in a position where he is going to tempt you to do what is wrong? He's not going to do that. Uh, you will be tested, but he doesn't do the tempting to have you do wrong. He's not tempted to do evil, and neither does he tempt anyone else to do evil. Where does that come from? Word. That comes from his word. Where does the temptation come from? Satan. Satan. It comes from our own evil desires. Satan placing them there, getting us to see, trying to get just a little twist on it to see if we'd be willing to do that. Uh, and it's amazing how people respond 
to those little temptations along the way. But be obedient. Don't conform yourself to the things of this world. Uh, John will talk about it in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Uh, be another passage to kind of quickly look at. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Be careful about what you see in the world. All that glitters isn't gold. You know, all that seems good. You know, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three main areas that Satan uses in tempting. Did it with Eve. Used the same areas when tempting Jesus in Matthew 4. Uh, trying to get him to, you know, to give in. And it's why, again, we have those written for us that we could learn from them. And again, when Satan is able to get you to take your focus off of where you want to go, the things of this world look awful tempting. But they've been there. He just got you to refocus for a second or for longer. And we're trying to live this distinct life. It's different. It's a little bit unique. Uh, people think you're strange. Why do they think you're strange? You're different. Pardon? You're distinctive. You're distinctive, okay. You're not get, catching on to some of that. You, you, you don't have the same focus that those of the world has. You don't do the same things that they do. Now, of an individual that has two forms of ID, got driver's license for the state of Texas, and has the Texas ID card. Not supposed to, but has that. The reason being is that when the individual goes out on Friday night, she doesn't want to lose her driver's license. So she just carries her ID card. And doesn't understand why somebody thinks that's wrong. <laughs> we live in a world that has a whole different perspective on things. And again, all you have to do is look around. Um, sometimes it's hard to even read the internet or watch the news. Uh, to see the things that pop up there uh, of what people are doing. So when you distinct and choose not to go after those things, I mentioned a, long, a, long, a while back and a long time ago that again I talked to an individual, a member of the church, who uh, talked to him and he, he, what was his goal in life. And at that time he said, my goal in life is to make $25,000 a year you know, that was a while back. <laughs> that was a while back. 
Well, that was his goal. That was what he had set in his mind that that's what he wanted to achieve in life. And I told him he was going to be sadly disappointed because whatever time, however long it took him to get to that goal, guess what? Inflation has hit. (laughs) And it was going to have to be a higher number. But he would never achieve it. He wouldn't be happy. And it's hard to go through this life or for people to go through this life realizing you don't have to. What are all the advertisements on there? What are they geared towards? Car ads, uh, furniture ads, clothing ads. What are they trying to do to you? Entice you to do what? To buy. And you can get the use the right card, you can get 0% interest for however long it is. Whatever it is, I'm simply saying, it's enticement. And all those things, again, will vanish in time. So trying to learn how to trust God and to be willing to, to do His will is, is not always the easy thing to do. But again, it is the right thing to do. Separating yourself from worldly and ungodly influences. They're there. Uh, some have lost jobs because they would not do or participate in the office parties that were required and the drinking of alcohol that was required. The world has its standards. I don't know what it is. It's not very high. It's just whatever you want to do. But God's people have a little different standard. And the influences are going to be there. And you have to watch against them. Uh, You have to determine out of Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, not to have any fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, you make choices. We talked before, talking to those in prisons. Now, what's the main reason why the people say that they're in prison? No, that ain't what they say. Pardon? I was wrongly accused. That one comes up quite a bit. <laughs> no. I didn't do it. They say they were in with the wrong crowd. I was with the wrong crowd. It wasn't me. I just happened to be there with them and they did what was wrong and I got caught in it and then I'm the one that got, and I got punished for it. Running with the wrong crowd. Who made him run with the wrong crowd? It was a choice. They made that choice. Are the consequences of not running with the wrong crowd? Sure. You have to be willing to accept those. Uh, you know, why they wouldn't stop, or whatever else it is. You know, we make choices. Oftentimes, why do we make, why do we use the phrase, I was with the wrong crowd? Yeah, I'm not, I do not want to accept the responsibility for what I did. Wasn't me. They made me do it. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those interesting things. Uh, I had found those who back there said, I'm here because I did what they accused me of. And I've talked to those back in prison who have stated, I'm not guilty, 
of the murder that I was charged with, but I am guilty of murdering others that they didn't catch me like. <laughs> Thinking, oh, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm innocent in this one, but I'm guilty. I'm really guilty on some others. We make these choices. And do we see the end result? I mentioned I was, when I was in California last week, I was talking to my great nephew, talking to my niece about her son, and she was saying he's 16. And three of his best buddies that he hung around with, three of them, committed suicide within a short period of time. One died of a drug overdose, and two others shot themselves. It's blown him away. I'm saying we live in a world that makes some choices and consequences. And it's not always easy. But you made the choices. He made some of those choices himself when he chose to run with some of those people. He knew what some of them were doing, and he chose to run with them anyway. But I'm saying again, we have to be willing to leave, to leave the unfruitful works of darkness. It's not productive. And you have to choose. I'm sure in your life that you haven't done anything that you regretted doing, wish you hadn't done. Or maybe you've done something that's influenced another person. And you changed, but they have not. And they went down that road because you led them down that road. <laughs> and you turned around and left that road, but they're still going down that road. So one thing I can do with what helps me on that is the grace and the mercy of God, forgiveness of past sins. The consequences, they're there. And we get to work with them. So I'm just saying we, we have to choose. Uh, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. You're like a city set on a hill. You do not hide a city that's set on a hill at night. It doesn't work. And again, you in the light cannot see far into the darkness. So you have no understanding or you can't fully comprehend how many in the darkness are watching the light. Your light. Oh, nobody will see. 
you'll be surprised. How many times you do something and somebody says, oh, I appreciate what you're doing. Appreciate what you've done. You just do what's right. You know, are you doing it for your glory according to the passage? No. That they may see your good works and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, why do you do the good works? So that God would get the glory from it. Trying to glorify him to say, listen, there is a difference. There is a different way of living. And, and it's one that you do not have regrets over. Uh, there are those who have regrets almost every week or every day. They regret what they've done, what they've said. And again, consequences are always there. And sometimes it's overwhelming for some of them. And it's hard to remember as you live your life There are people watching your life. And they're drawing conclusions about God and about Christ. Drawing conclusions about the Bible. They may not know everything about you, but they'll see. There's a difference. Why? Why is there that difference? Uh, why don't you pursue the things that we, that we pursue? and what's involved in that. Uh, we get caught up in, in chasing that elusive rainbow. You ever, you ever try to find out where the rainbow ends on the, on the ground? Yeah, I don't care. It doesn't matter how close you get to it. It always seems to move, you know, that it's not there. It's an elusive goal that they pursue. And if we just get this, or we just get that, and then we'll be happy. Uh, let your light shine. That's distinct. There's a distinctiveness to it. You don't have a light and then put a, a bushel over it or a basket over it. Say, I want to be one, but I don't want nobody to see me. Uh, that's not what we do. Now, why is distinctive living important for the Christian life? First one talks about the choice to live distinctively will greatly assist the Christian in the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. You ever found out there's a struggle there? Between the flesh and the spirit? The things you know you ought to be doing, what Paul say In Romans 7, the things I know I ought to be doing, I don't do. And the things I shouldn't be doing, those are the things I find myself doing. How do I get out of this? Uh, there's a struggle there. We're a new creation. But what was the funny thing about this new creation when it came up out of the watery grave of baptism? How did you look when you came up out of the watery grave of baptism, besides being wet? Same as you went out, you look the same. You look the same. And so you're still here. 
And so when you come up out of that water grave of baptism, all your problems, all your struggles are gone. No, they're still there. You give a better way to handle them, yes. That's the key. And that's what he's talking about there. That's why you want to live distinctively. You've got a better way to handle the problems. And of course, you already know that, huh? So you don't get the rug jerked out from under your feet. Okay, you're human, you're going to make mistakes. That's what we struggle with. We're human. And we still make mistakes. It's what we got the blood of Jesus for. It's what we got forgiveness for. But it's a struggle. As we, as we do, we learn more along the way. We find better ways of handling those situations. Uh, and sometimes one of the best, some of the best ways to handle the situation is? Prayer. prayer. What prayer? Pardon? Heartfelt prayer for help, for strength, for encouragement. What else do we need to do sometimes? Pray for wisdom. And if any man lack wisdom, where does it come from? It comes from God, who gives stingily. No, who gives generously. What else do we get to do? It starts with the word F and an L and an E and an E. <laughs> Flee. Flee from wickedness. Flee. Move in the other direction. You know, as you come up or growing in Christ, if you've had a problem dealing with some things, the best thing to do is not go there. Uh, anyways, and that's sometimes, I mean, it's not always easy to do. But you've got the help. You've got the assistance. And the more you resist and the more you grow, what? The stronger you get. And the less pull that it has. So we have to, I mean, so we're working at trying to be able to fight against this flesh and the spirit that we have. Uh, again, we live in a fleshly body. I don't know about yours, but mine gets hungry. And my body basically knows what I like to satisfy that hunger with. Yeah, Snickers, yeah. <laughs> See, everyone else knows that too. You know? uh, and so what do I have to do? Not that I always do it. I have to resist it, yeah. I've got a great conscience in the other room over there. Yeah. Anytime I'm in the grocery store, and you know where they put those Snicker bars? That's a cash register. Yeah. Uh, so I you want a Snicker bar? No. <laughs> Can I have a Snicker bar? No. <laughs> Not going to get that. I'm saying, once you get into doing it, it's not so bad. You find out that's you know, it's nice, but it's not that important. I haven't got that all down yet, okay? I'm working on that part of it. But I'm trying to get us to see that you grow in Christ. It's a growth process. 
And it goes back to Romans 12 and verse 2. You renew the mind. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to show what is that perfect and acceptable and good will of God. You, you work at it. The more you do it, the, bit, the, the more you see that that is right. It, you know, it doesn't have to dominate your life. But it's a growth process. We see it in children as they grow. And we see it as spiritually, as babes in Christ, as we grow, we see the changes take place. And, and learning to work with each other along the way is, is what we're striving towards there. You know, we hook up with Satan there in, in uh, the middle of the page there. Uh, he'll manifest his choice through the works of the flesh. Satan's job is to do what? Take us away from God to entice us. To, yeah, to, yeah, he wants to destroy us, yes. If you know, again, if you know that's what he's wanting to do, and whatever he places before you is going to destroy you, what, is, what, is, what does he have to do? Way has turned your heart away from. I'm trying to get us to, you to see, if you know he's he's the devil, you know he's out to destroy your soul. You know whatever he places before you is going to destroy your soul. If he's going to be effective, what does he have to do? He has to make it a temptation. He has to, he has to camouflage it. He has to cover it up. He has to give an appeal to it. And you know, again, that goes back to uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Again, as you read you know, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you know, read the accounts given and the wording that is given for the tree of life, of knowledge of good and evil. Read the other accounts that are in there, that everything that God made was what? Genesis one thirty one. How good? Very good. And so the tree was very good, good to look upon. So Satan's job was to mask that a little bit. How did he do that? Changing one word. Thou shalt not surely die. That one has been effective. It's still effective, is it not? A lot of people in the world believe that. They're not going to die. Oh, they may know they're going to die physically, but we put that one off as long as we can. But they don't believe they're going to die spiritually. Listen to people. That you talk with them. Do they believe they're going to die spiritually? No. God's going to overlook that. God's gracious. God's merciful. He won't, he won't do that. I'm okay. A loving God would not condemn anybody to hell. So, I mean, I'm fine. I'm okay. That's what you hear, or that's what I hear as I talk to people. They're okay. Satan has disguised it. And same thing with that. Whatever it is, the works of the flesh... And as you read of them, uh, read of them in Galatians five nineteen through twenty one, you, you can see the ugliness is given there. But you have to see how Satan uses that to draw away those that would follow God. And you're going to reach a point where you won't be tempted any longer. No, not going to reach that point. 
Rory's back there somewhere, I'm sure, but uh, his favorite verse, First Corinthians 10, 12. Let him who stand take heed lest he fall. And you think you have it. Take heed. Satan is very active, very persuasive. If he was not good at what he does, be a castaway. I have to buffet my body daily. Took me a while as a preacher to realize that's what it said. I have to buffet my body daily. I thought it said you have to buffet your body daily. <laughs> but you have to buffet your body daily. Uh, he's very, if he was not, he wouldn't be doing what he does. And the thing that I know is Satan's very effective in what he does, but guess what? God is very effective in what he does. And uh, 1 John 4, 4, uh, putting in the, the, the nouns in where the pronouns are there in 1 John 4, 4, greater is God who is in you than Satan who is in the world. You've got the greater God. You've got the greater power. Satan's powerful. Have you seen him? You know what all his weapons are? You know, he, he's very deceptive. How, what can he do to himself? Uh, disguise himself as an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. Very deceptive. That's why we always have to be on alert. That's why we have to be distinct in what we're doing and put in a trust in God and his word because the danger is out there. And again, it doesn't take much. Uh, you ever bet out on our sidewalks when they got a little bit of ice on there? <clears throat> what do you do? Don't get out there. <laughs> when you do get out there, take baby steps. You walk very gingerly. But guess what? You can still fall. You can still fall. <laughs> it can happen in the flash. Uh, you can be very careful, and then it can catch you. I'm saying all that to say, again, that's why Paul says, you renew your mind in God. You let the Word of God richly dwell within you. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Understand what he does and how he can do it. And even then, there's the, we still have to fight and have to be aware. As long as we're living, we have to stand strong. So that distinctiveness needs to be there. But if we choose to walk with God, we do have that fruit of the Spirit. That's over in Galatians uh, 5. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 talks about the, uh, the works of the flesh. 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And I always find it, or have found it intriguing that the first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. You go over to 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 11. The last characteristic of the Christ, what we call the Christian graces is what? It's love. The last thing that we can obtain is love. The first thing the Spirit gives is love. But you look at those qualities that he, he describes. What type of person is that? A godly person. Why? Because God is love. Very good. Because God is love. Those characteristics describe God and what he does. And of course, I mean, and again, such there is no law, which means you can practice those all that you want. And all of those come easy. Being long-suffering, being patient. You know, when do you want patience? I don't want it right now. Uh, you know, it, it's, these are qualities that, but see, these are qualities that the Spirit gives. And for the Spirit to be able to give those qualities, what? How are you going to get them? Through Christ. You have to be in Christ. They're going to come through Christ. So you have to be walking in the light. Uh, there's a war, as you know, he's describing there in Galatians 5. There's a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. They're at odds with one another. And again, because we, we are flesh, we get to struggle with that. And we breathe and, and every, we walk, whatever it is, it's all, we, we're that, we have that there. We have to fight against giving into it all the time. Walk by the Spirit. Look for those qualities. Uh, and it's one of those, again, as you look at the fruit of the Spirit there or the Christian graces in Second Peter 1. These are qualities that you have to constantly be aware of and working towards. They, don't, they do not come naturally. I guess that's the key. These are not natural qualities, if you will. These are what the Spirit gives. This is what God gives. And so we get to work with that in our life. But we do that because what Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. What about the old things? Passed away. And what? The new things have come. It's a different life. And whatever, and whatever is new, you're absolutely comfortable with. Not usually. It's something that you have to keep working at and to do. Uh, whatever it may be, a new, at a new job or a new school, whatever else is involved, it takes a while to get into it. But you have to stay with it. And there are some qualities that God wants us to have. And now at the bottom of page 93, the, the choice to live distinctively will assist a Christian in exerting a godly influence upon others. 
When you desire to do that, you're going to influence those around you. And we're always positive in our influences. Now we keep striving, but we, or we again need to be mindful that we do influence others. Right or wrong, we do influence people. That's how we're built, is that we, we do things because those are things that we've seen others do or that sometimes come down to, down to us. Uh, those individuals who will choose one brand of a car over another because that's what their parents always had or whatever else it may be. And that's what they choose to do. Uh, you may be influenced to see or not to see movies based upon what you've heard from others say. We've seen it or not. Always reports up and down of whether it was good or not, depending on how people view things. But we're influenced. What we do, where we go, and so on and so forth. We want to be distinctive in trying to be Christians so that we can in, in, uh, exert a godly influence upon people. Why? Why do we want to keep exerting a godly influence on others? Pardon? It's our job. What else? Okay. Okay, we want to go to heaven and we want them to go to heaven. Because, I mean, we, that's our job and we want to bring others to Christ. We understand there's a need to be able to draw, to, to draw strength from one another, to be encouraged to help one another. Uh, if you fight it on your own, what? It's a lonely battle. It's hard. But when you have others, that's why we assemble, why we have fellowship with each other, because we're trying to encourage each other in doing the things that are right. Well, our time is gone. I appreciate your attention and your participation this evening. We'll finish up again next week, and then we'll discuss how we're going, where we'll go from there. Let's close out with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God in heaven, we are indeed grateful that you are our heavenly Father, that you've cared and loved and provided, protects us and protect us. Help us to understand that through all of this that you have a work for us to grow to be more like you, to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and to reach out to a lost and dying world. We thank you for the patience you've exerted upon us. We would pray that again we may be ever mindful of the task that is ours, to be a light that shines in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Keep us close to one another. Keep us close to your word. Help us ever lean upon you and what you provided for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.